Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Happy days! I just got a coffee, um, a mocha, to start me day, me working day, and I paid for a medium, alright? Which is, you know, it's still up there, like 10 bucks. Um, paid for that, stand there waiting, you know, and then suddenly the dude says, Mocha, hands me a large. And I didn't say a word. I was just like, oh my god, I paid for a medium and I'm getting a large. And I am as excited as a schoolgirl who just got her period. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm hyperactive today, guys. I had yesterday off because I was sick as a dog. And look, to be honest, I'm still not 100%. Probably operating on about 95% though, you know. Yeah, so good enough. Good enough to get out there and fucking do a day's job, mate. And I just thought, why not press record? Big Was and I are separating. Um, should just leave it there. No, we are getting divorced. Um, I'm sick of the beatings from Warren. I'm sick of the abuse, the mostly sexual abuse, some verbal abuse, but mostly sexual abuse. Um, sick of that from him. Um, it's it's unwarranted. <coughs> um, no, no, so we are, yeah, I'm sick, so I don't want to get him sick because when we're together, he can't help but throw himself at me and like ram his tongue down my throat. <laughs> oh, I think just a bit of bile just came to the back of my throat there. Um, no, no, we are, yeah, but I am sick, so I don't want to get him sick or get his family sick or anything like that. So um, we thought we'd do another separate one. We did do one a little while back where he recorded his section, I recorded my section and we slapped them together, just like Will Smith slapped the shits out of Chris Rock. Um, yeah, so that's what we're doing. I didn't really, so, oh yeah, yeah, so if you listen to last week, we're not gonna be doing, <coughs> excuse me, centenarians, I found out how to say that word, centenarians, which still sounds weird to my ears, but it's centenarians, which is um, people 100 years old or plus, um, and what was Warren going to do? Oh, ex-cons, ex-prisoners. Ex, uh, so we're not doing that. We'll save that for next week when I'm a fit bill of health and can be in front of Warren completely naked and ready to receive him. Uh, <laughs> it's very homoerotic already, this episode, I feel. Yeah, strange. Strange that I'm in such a good mood and straight away I'm just thinking of having man-on-man love with Big Was. Um, yes, oh yeah, yeah, so, so, Big Was suggested that I talk about my <laughs> lengthy, somewhat tainted career in broadcasting. Uh, <laughs> so some listeners might be aware that I used to do a community radio show back in the day, 20 odd years ago. Um, I also do this podcast and I also did another podcast as well, so... Big Was thought it would be interesting for you folks to hear me talk about that shit. I, 
I'm willing to wager that it's not that interesting a story, but I'll go with it because it's not often Warren requests me to do something um, that's legal anyway. Uh, so yeah, I thought I'd do that. And I, how I, how I want to go about it is because I'm in this crazy hyperactive mood, I just thought, fuck it, I'll take you along for my work day. And that, that'll be quite the adventure as well. And between jobs, I'll, you know, regale you with uh, stories about my, my, my career in broadcasting. Ah, oh, shit. Um, and, uh, and anything else that comes to mind, you know, just to entertain you good folks listening at home. So strap yourselves in, get a big tub of lube and a big box of Kleenex and get ready because you're going to be coming a torrent listening to my dulcet tones. Fuck! I am a creature of habit in a lot of ways and I just went to pull in to my usual, my regular petrol station where I fill up the truck on unleaded petrol which is now $600 a litre um, and, uh, you know, sometimes I'll treat myself to a nice coffee or a Snickers bar, um, or both. If I'm feeling wild, I'll get both, damn it. But then, just about to pull into this particular petrol station, I like to go, I like to go there as well because they have a toilet. Many petrol stations don't have toilets, and as a gardener by trade, I'm always on the right. I'm always looking for the fucking toilet, you know what I mean? Ha, 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 So I know that that one offers many things, many resources for a chap like me on the move you know anyway so I went to pull in there and it's chockers with cars and trucks because the price is slightly slightly ever so slightly lower than other places instead of it being like two bucks and 14 cents or something at the moment it was like 210 so everyone (laughs) it's like honestly there was like a queue hanging out the driveway for this place so I was like get fucked mate one thing you should know about me is I don't like waiting you might know that already I don't know but I'm not a big fan of waiting if it's like uh, if it's something like let's say if I if I'm you know picking up the folks from the airport and I'm excited you know because they live in another state so you know, I'm excited to see them, um, and their plane might be slightly delayed or something. That's not too bad. I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm on the edge of excitement going, oh, wow, I'm going to see my parents soon. This is going to be awesome. And I guess the delay in that scenario builds the excitement in a way, you know, so that's fine. But if I'm, if I'm pulling into my petrol station and there's a bloody queue at the front of it, I'm not fucking waiting. I'm not. Yeah, so uh, I've calmed down a little bit now, guys. Um, I still feel quite hyperactive, I've got to be honest, but I just went into Bunnings, and there's there's a very somber mood in Bunnings. Bunnings is a hardware uh, chain franchise here in Australia, Um, and I don't know what it was, maybe because it's early? I don't know. Mostly, this is like tradie time, I suppose. Um, you don't get your mums and dads and old grannies as much at this time of the day. Um, quarter to eight in the morning. Um, yeah, you just get your tradie types. And I don't know, there just seems to be a bit of a mood of like, I wish I was fucking dead, mate. You know? <laughs> 
Uh, maybe that's a bit heavy, I don't know. But I, I certainly wasn't feeling like that. But but I didn't feel like bursting into there, into the premises and being like, G'day, guys, I'm full of beans! Because <laughs> I would have probably received a 4B2 straight up the sphincter. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I got my shit and got out of there. And then, so I've got back in the car and I'm feeling kind of just like, hmm, yeah, all right. But I'm gonna I'm gonna try and shake the hardware store mood off so I can get stuck into this episode proper. You are listening to Fly on the Wall podcast. My name is Luke, and there's no big was just yet. He's gonna be in the next section of this episode, episode 166. I'm looking forward to episode 666, the number of the beasts. That'd be fun. I don't know what we'd talk about then. We'd probably be quite elderly, would we? Hang on, I can't work out that maths. That's in another quite a few years, I think. Uh, Maybe we'll be 50 by then, will we? I don't know. You do the maths, guys. I can't bloody work it out. One episode per week, 52 a year. Yeah, I don't know. What is it? Like two... Is it like in three years' time, roughly? No, three, three and a half, four... No. Two. <laughs> no, it's more. It's a lot more. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Oh, it's too early, mate. Um, yeah, but I enjoyed the coffee. It was delicious. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Let's get stuck into the episode. So, uh, broadcasting. So, back in, I think it was the year 2001. I think I was still living at home with mum and dad. So I think it was the year 2000, actually. Um, I was 21, and um, I don't even know how I found out about this place. I think I must have driven past it or something. I'm talking about the, uh, the radio. There was a radio studio, a community radio studio, and it was in the same town as, as Lil Keith, where he lived. It was there. So I must have... <coughs> Sorry for the coughing, guys, but yeah, I am getting over cold slash flu, whatever it is, slash monkeypox, slash COVID, slash AIDS. Um, yeah, so uh, it must have been uh, the fact that I was driving past it and I kept seeing this VYV community radio sign. And I was like, hmm, yeah, okay, what's that all about? Is it just like a radio? Like, is it, you know, I don't know. I didn't know anything about it. And... Um, I guess at one point or another, I really can't remember, I must have inquired. I must have gone and knocked on the door because this is, you know, really before everyone had the internet and iPhones and Google and shit. So it was kind of on the cusp of that, I suppose. But um, yeah, I certainly didn't have the internet, the interweb, WWW anything. Um, so I must have knocked on the door or given them a call or maybe I saw an ad in the paper or something like that. I don't know. But <coughs> anyway, I found out they were offering um, training, you know, to, to run your own show. Um, it was a few weeks of training, and then you could potentially, if, they, if management approved, then you could potentially have your own show on community radio. And I guess because I'm a narcissistic cunt, I thought, yes, I could be a star. I could be a radio star. <laughs> no, nah, I don't know. I don't know. But it just grabbed my attention, and I thought... Yeah, that that could be kind of something cool to do. Now, this was, um, if you listen to my episode, uh, my solo episode, uh, Luke's Musical Journey, which was episode, whoa, what was it, 163, I think? Um, um, 
you know that I was uh, in bands with my mates and stuff like that, and and I, and this was between bands. So I'm very much someone who needs something else, and I think I might have said this before, but uh, I work, there's family, friends, all that stuff, but I also need something to get my teeth stuck into, you know, like, uh, and you can't bite your family. <laughs> um, uh, whether it's art or writing or drawing or painting my little miniatures or music or whatever, I need something else to keep me, I don't know, I don't know, like a, a, an exciting thing that's just for me or just for a couple of us or whatever it is, like this podcast, for, uh, very much like this podcast. Anyway, so I applied and uh, was successful and I think, oh, what was it? Did, did Keith jump on board straight away as well? Oh, I'll have to, I should probably check with him. But yeah, he and I eventually, I can't remember doing the training with him though. Maybe he came on board after. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, he can let us know in the comments below. <laughs> um, anyway, so went into this training thing and it was a piece of piss. It was, it was really, really straightforward, easy. Like basically, you know, you can't swear, you can't uh, be blasphemous, you can't be um, overly political. You know, it was very, um, it was a community radio station, but it was very friendly you know it was it wasn't like your triple j it wasn't and if you you know from australia you know what triple j is <coughs> it wasn't an edgy radio station it was all very safe and in fact there was a lot of um there, for instance there was a lot of uh, religious shows on uh, at the studio as well like people doing uh, playing christian music or or something like that so fundamentally i guess there was that layer of like conservativeness uh, about the whole place and that was okay I was sort of like yep cool and it was all new to me so I was just sort of happy to get my foot in the door and pl potentially play some music but speaking of music the music couldn't have any swearing in it um, the content had to be fairly moderate like fairly safe as well you couldn't you know I don't know have some dude singing about cutting a chicken's head off and fucking the wound <laughs> that'd be a great song though um <coughs> Oh, excuse me. Sorry, guys. <coughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, I, I really don't mean to be coughing and burping and carrying on, but yeah, sickness. Uh, <laughs> that's my excuse. Um, anyway, so I really quite enjoyed the training, even though it was very simple. I guess that was partly why I enjoyed it, because I was like, I can do this. This is good. You know, it was like a big tick, like, oh, okay, this isn't actually going to be too hard, because if it's too hard, I'm out. <laughs> um, and then, so there was a few weeks of sort of sitting in a, like a classroom or, you know, uh, a room somewhere and listening to a dude. He was a really cool dude. I can't remember his name now, but he was a really, really cool dude. He was a presenter and he also did the training and he was such a nice fella. And he sort of said, and he was a bit of on the edgier side, I suppose, because he, he wasn't um, conservative. He wasn't, he wasn't, um, he was quite liberal in lots of ways. And he was a bit of a hippie dude. He was a, he was a cool dude. And he actually, um, uh, his claim to fame was he actually interviewed, oh, now I can't think of his bloody, oh, Joe Walsh. He actually interviewed Joe Walsh from Eagles, not the Eagles. They're actually called Eagles, not the Eagles. Um, he interviewed the guitarist and singer uh, Joe Walsh from the Eagles, from Eagles. <laughs> I 
I'm fucking up here. Um, and on community radio, you know? So you had some link to him and was able to get him on the show uh, via a phone call and interviewed him. And and he was a lovely guy, but it was just funny because every pretty much every conversation you had with this guy, he would always bring into the conversation the fact that he interviewed Joe Walsh on the radio. <laughs> Which, you know... I would probably do that too. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so so did all that. That was fine. It was all pretty straightforward. They took us into the studio um, and showed us, you know, how to play a CD, which, you know, was pretty straightforward. Um, how to play the ads because it was um, it was a community radio, but it was sponsored. It wasn't um, like they got funds from local like butchers and bakers and and farms and wineries and stuff like that who um, would get an ad played on the show uh, and then therefore fund the organisation, which was that was kind of cool. So they showed us how to play the ads, and we had to do a few like spoken ads as well. Um, which I don't think I ended up doing many of those, but maybe initially I did where we just had to say, hey, do you need new tyres? Then check out Tyre Power, Worry Alec, uh, <laughs> in that really overly annoying radio voice. No, no, they. I remember talking to them, though, and them saying that you will find your voice, like you will, and that they said, this is something we can't teach you or train you on. You just naturally, hopefully, will develop a radio voice. Now, I, me and Warren have spoken about this off air that um, when we do the podcast, we're still ourselves. We're still like 99% just what you hear is who we are and what we are. But I guess there's a, um, I, don't, I don't know what you call it, whether you call it uh, showmanship or a something like that. I don't know. Like, I guess like when I was on stage with Big Was in the band, and I think I mentioned this in the, the Musical Journey episode as well, there was, you know, when I first got on stage, I was like, hi, I'm Luke, this is Warren, and we're 11, because I was very nervous. But then you have to kind of dig deep, and if you want to engage the audience, if you want to engage people, you can't mumble, you can't talk into your chest, you can't be overly introvert, I guess. You kind of got to be like... I'm here, <laughs> you know, uh, and I guess that's what he was meaning about finding your radio voice, finding your voice and to be able to present, to be able to talk, to be able to engage and all that kind of stuff. And I guess in a way, it, it, it would I say, it didn't, I don't think it came naturally, to be honest, actually, when I think about it, I think back then it didn't come naturally, but I think with the band, um, talking to the audience, I suddenly was able to... Initially, yep, I was very nervous. But then uh, I think I was able to um, flick that switch and go and sort of incorporate the radio voice that I'd learned years before, a decade before, into... And when I say radio voice, I don't mean like like what I just did before, like, hey, guys, you're listening to VYV. <laughs> I don't mean like that. I just mean a strong, direct... You know, like, hey, I'm talking to you. Yes, you. And get them listening, you know? It's really hard to explain, actually. Um, yeah, so so did all the training. Sort of was like, okay, well, I don't know what my voice is and blah, blah, blah. And then, then came the night when I was going to do on-air training. And I was nervous, so I had to. I had to bring. I had like a, I was going to be having a half an hour slot. There was two guys who had their own show already. They were really nice guys, young fellas, younger than me. I was twenty one, 
they were probably about 18. Really nice dudes though, and um, they were playing sort of similar music to that I was hoping to play, uh, you know, grunge and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> bit of metal um so so i was slotted in with them because they thought it'd be a good fit i could learn with them on air and all that kind of stuff and i was excited but i was also nervous i was also like okay and i remember like um i got my little stack of cds i probably had about 12 cds that i wanted to take and i'd planned out every single song i was going to play and and i hadn't written a script or anything like that but i kind of had this loose idea of what i was going to talk about as far as the music and and who I was and what my show was going to be like eventually and all that kind of thing, you know. And then <laughs> so I went in there, met the guys. They were cool. They made me very comfortable. We had a drink and not, you know, just a cup of tea or something. Um, and they're like, no worries. Well, we'll do half an hour of our normal show and then we'll slot you in because then we can introduce you and all that kind of stuff. I was like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And my heart was a flutter. Um, and then it was all going well. I was having a good laugh with them. I was feeling quite at ease. And then came my time, um, and that red light went on to say, on air, and I fucking froze, people. I just froze. I just stared at them. So you've got to think, like, the music was playing, came to an end, click, the light's on, microphones are live. I'm sitting there in the hot seat, and I'm just staring at them like, uh, and then one of them just pointed at the CD player and mouthed the words, press play. And I sort of just went... G'day, uh, uh, and then press play, <laughs> and it felt like felt like five minutes <laughs> that I was sitting there with my, you know, I don't know, <laughs> my heart in my throat, sitting there for five minutes, going, "I wish I was dead." Um, and but literally, it was a few seconds because uh, my partner at the time had recorded the episode or the session for me. And uh, when I listened back to it, I was dreading it. When I listened back to it, I was like, okay, it wasn't, it just sounded like I was doing, g'day, and then I pressed play, you know? But for me, time stood still, and I just freaked. And when I, after, you know, I pressed play, and, and the guys were so good, they were like, mate, it's all right, we did exactly the same thing. It is, it's a thing. As soon as you press record, oh, sorry, uh, as soon as you press, like, let's, you know, we're on air, um, it's, a, it's a confronting thing. It's like... Uh, it's almost like standing in front of the class when you're a kid and doing a presentation, you know, that kind of like public speaking in a way, but there's no one there. <laughs> so it was, I don't know, it was, it was interesting to me because I was just like, fuck, I, I don't think I can do this. And I was really hard on myself being young and stupid. And I was kind of like, I don't think I can do it. Oh my God. And my partner at the time sort of talked me into it and said, no, no, you'll be fine. Just get back on the horse and give it a go next week. And that's exactly what I did. And, uh, and then no problem. The next time, I was completely fine. But it is, it is such a thing. Like it is a real uh, thing to suddenly go. You're on air. Everyone's listening. Everyone's watching, or whatever it is. And I guess in a way, it's like our friend Little Keith who comes on the show. Um, I think he's got better over time. But I don't think you mind me saying this. But when, and I think the gorgeous Glenn is a little bit like this as well. Like, I'll look at them when they're on the episode with me. I'll say, okay, you ready to go? And they're like, okay, yep, you know, let's go. And it, it's like a thing for them, which is understandable. I'm not sort of, um, I'm not mocking that. It's an understandable thing that you go, okay, I'm going to be recorded now. This is going to go out into the world. I hope I don't come across like a dickhead. But 
really, I reckon they're brilliant. So they've got nothing to worry about. But it's interesting to me because some people are completely okay with being recorded and videoed and, and or whatever uh, on TV or public speaking or whatever. And other people are just like, absolutely not. I remember one time I um, tried to get my brother-in-laws um, and their and their partners to say a few words on the podcast once, and they were, <laughs> they weren't having a bar of it. Now, off air, they're li- they're a lively bunch. They're a great bunch. We have a good laugh. We have we we'll tell good stories and all kinds of stuff. But as soon as I press that record, they're like, nah, get fucked." <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, and I, and I guess and and I, I'm not trying to paint myself like. Uh, like I'm, I'm great at this and blah, not at all. But I don't know. I I don't have that shy thing in me anymore. I don't have that like oh no. Nah. And I don't don't know if it's just an inherent thing in me or if it's because I've sort of been doing this kind of thing for quite a while now. So I, I'm a I'm a veteran. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna tell y'all. I just woke up, so I'm gonna try to make this sound good. Hold on. Good morning from the Ozarks, Missouri. This is Emily, and you're listening to Fly on the Wall podcast. Uh, Stand by for dead air. So I just uh, finished my first job for the morning, for the day. Um, I'm not going crazy today. I'm going to do three or four jobs um, only because I'm still still feeling a little bit rough. So I just don't want to go too crazy. I'm good enough to work, but um, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, I can feel it in my bones that I probably shouldn't overdo it because that's usually my way. I'm fine. And then, uh, you know, kill myself. <laughs> but little thing I I discovered on the way to my first job while I was driving, um, I saw a place called Melbourne Golf Injury Clinic. So a clinic, I've got to look it up, but a clinic dedicated to golfers. I found that strange. Like, I know you get, um, you know, like uh, specialists in, um, what do you call it, um, physiotherapy and stuff like that for sports people and all that kind of thing. That's fair enough, you know. Uh, remedial massage, I guess, in a way. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. Um, but a clinic, a doctor's clinic, a medical clinic dedicated to golfers. I don't know. I just found that strange. And I, I strange in two ways. One because it's very specific and two would you have many injuries as a golfer uh i guess like like back strain or i guess you could pull a ligament when you're doing like a hard swing um yeah (laughs) it's weird to me it's like having a like a dog walkers of melbourne clinic You know, like how, like this, like really, there should be a bloody gardener's clinic, you know, because I've got more, I reckon I've got more risk. Maybe I'm speaking out of term here, but I've got more risk of injuring myself than a bloody golfer does. If you're a golfer, I know there's at least one listening, um, email us, the fly on the wall podcast, one, one at gmail.com and tell us how you may have injured yourself in the past or how you hope to injure yourself one day. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah, weird. A clinic, a medical clinic, 
dedicated to golfers. My mind is blown. Anyway, let's crack on with the episode. Um, okay, so where were we? Okay, so I fucking lost it when I, you know, did that that first time on air, live on air, bang, I fucking choked. Something shocking. The next week, though, bang, went in, no problem at all. I was definitely nervous, don't get me wrong. It wasn't, like, full of, you know, bravado and, like, I've got this in the bag now, you pricks. No, I was still, like, I think I was even, in a way, more nervous because I was like, oh, I hope I don't bloody choke again. But I think because I was so determined to get it right that I just pushed through. And and, and I guess that's something some people can do and some people can't. But I just was like, I want this. I want to be able to do this. You know, I, I really wanted to have a, a cool little radio show. And I guess that drive just pushed me through my nerves and got me talking. And then I didn't shut the fuck up <laughs> ever since. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, yeah, so then I started a show. And, and I think Keith pretty much jumped on board straight away as well. I think I think we had a show together first. And then I went off and did my own one when he, when he pulled the pin. And our show was called... Saturday night blind spot with a twist of lemon. I don't know why. It just kind of rolled off the tongue kind of nicely. Um, and I, oh, I'm really, this is like 20 odd years ago now. So I'm really stretching my mind to remember. But I think we started at about 9 p.m. on a, every second Saturday, 9 p.m. till 12 a.m. It was something like that. It was like the last three hours of the night, you know, every second Saturday. And I bloody loved it. Keith loved it as well. It was very similar-ish to this podcast in a way, in a lot of ways. Um, we didn't swear and carry on like that, but we had like news of the weird, for example, where we'd find things. Uh, we must have had the internet around about this time, I think, to be able to find these things because I can't imagine either of us going to the library and learning such things. <laughs> and I always remember um, one that Keith had was about... Um, Someone had trained a rodent, I think it might have been a ferret or something like that, to run up people's legs and bite their penises. Like someone had trained a person to do that, which is brilliant. Um, you know, so so we'd chat between songs, we'd back announce the songs or we'd pre-announce the songs. Um, we'd talk about the music a little bit as well, of course. We'd talk about uh, whatever came to mind and we'd have a, a general sort of chit-chat, very much like Big Was and I do. It was freeform. Nothing was really planned except for when we did things like News of the Weird and had some other segments. I remember we had one um, called How Dare You. Around about the time, there was a show on TV called Who Dares Wins. And it was like playing dare, you know, they'd get contestants on there and they'd be like, okay, I dare you to jump out of a plane. I dare you to uh, abseil down this cliff. I dare you to eat rotten eggs or, you know, whatever it was. Kind of like your fear factor, that kind of stuff as well. It was kind of one of the first versions of those kinds of shows. (coughs) And, um, excuse me, and uh, so Keith and I thought, that's kind of cool. Let's dare each other to do things. And um, one of them I remember was um, I he dared me to go and put my face as close to the toilet as possible, at, like in the bowl, and then flush the toilet. And I had to do it. And I had the microphone with me. And, <laughs> and I remember we... Uh, were trusted, I don't know why, we were trusted to train someone, um, do the on-air training, much like I did with these 
two young fellas, we were trusted. Some, uh, you know, sometime later, we were trusted to train this girl. Can't remember her name now, but yeah, she was only a young girl. She was only like 15, 16. And here's us two 21 year old dickheads. And very irresponsibly, we we said to her, hey, do you want to play this game? Like we do, how dare you? And we'll do it on air and stuff like that. And being only a young girl and these two older guys, she obviously felt a bit of peer pressure and was like, oh, yeah, okay, no worries. And we're like, yeah, yeah, be fine, yeah. And we dared her to drink as much tomato sauce as possible, right? And she did. She gulped it down and we were cheering and laughing. She was laughing and carrying on as well. Um, Now, unbeknownst to us, um, but then it turned out she was uh, highly, highly allergic to tomatoes and tomato sauce has tomatoes in it now (laughs) we didn't know this until uh, about a week or so or a couple of weeks later when i was there to set up um this girl's mum was there and said to me oh can i just speak to you for a minute please and i was like yeah and she introduced herself said she was the mum of this girl and i was like oh yeah she went really well and it's really good she goes yeah yeah um she goes look um you i obviously didn't know but yeah she's highly allergic and i had to take her to the doctors that night after the show and obviously I was very apologetic and all that kind of stuff but I did sort of say oh you know she didn't say anything to us and she goes yeah well you got to understand she was only a young girl and looking up to you two guys and I, and we just honestly we felt we felt terrible looking back obviously it's pretty funny but <laughs> but yeah I, I guess there's still some guilt there because you sort of go fuck like if I'd known, obviously, and, and I wouldn't do that now, I wouldn't, like a young, if you know, I'm 43 years old and there's a young girl, young guy, I wouldn't be like, if I could drink it, drink, 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 <laughs> you know, but as a young fella, I just wasn't thinking, you know, so, well, neither of us were, so yeah, so that was pretty crazy, but all in all, the show was was a good one. We had lots of fun. We had lots of laughs. We enjoyed the music. We, you know, while the music was playing, we were still young and stupid and childish. So we were running around, running amok around the studio because it was like literally just us in there. Like everyone else is gone. And it would just be me and Keith running around the studio being idiots. We'd invite our friends around and, you know, we'd, we'd be mischievous. We'd do silly things. And one of the things we, we enjoyed doing was really pushing the envelope so so push like uh like i said earlier the the whole station um was very conservative in a lot of ways and keith and i weren't at all and we'd sort of push it and i lost (laughs) i lost count how many times management would call us up while we're doing the show call us up and say uh you know like reprimand us basically and sort of say look you know it's getting too edgy you shouldn't have said this you shouldn't have said that and we'd find like letters in our because we had a pigeonhole there um like you know where people could put letters in and notes and newsletters and blah 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 um (laughs) we'd often get notes in there from management as well sort of saying you know you shouldn't have played this song or you shouldn't have done it and we'd always just like i said push the envelope by by playing songs that were a little bit more risque and but you know we were young we were silly we were we were thinking that's kind of edgy and fun and probably didn't really respect the boundaries that were that laid down before us so yeah but it was good times and then um yeah then Keith for for one reason or another I can't remember why but he decided to call it quits and and he left and I think I left for a little while, uh, maybe for a couple of months, but then went back or maybe was asked to come back. I can't remember now. I, remember, I vaguely remember being asked 
if I'd considered doing another show and blah, blah, blah. I know, I know. Yeah, anyway. So I found myself doing um, 9 p.m. till 1 a.m. every second Saturday. And that was very different. Being solo, like I am on this episode, um, was very different because you have to talk without talking to someone. So that was new to me in a way. I mean, I was always, even as a kid, I was always talking to myself and playing my little imaginary games with imaginary people. And I had friends. <laughs> Let's be clear. I did have friends, but I used to quite enjoy my own imagination. Like I could, uh, I could go outside and play guns and imagine that there were people chasing me, trying to shoot me. I could imagine monsters in the trees um, leaping out, trying to eat me. You know, so I guess if, from a very early age, I knew how to talk to myself (laughs) oh man that all sounds very sad but um it's true yeah i i guess i could do that and in a sense um doing a show by yourself and talking to no one was that you know you you um you have a topic of discussion you talk about the music or whatever um and you just off you go very much like i'm doing right now um yeah and that and that sort of came easy to me in a way it was nice because i wasn't interrupted (laughs) oh fucking hell oh man yeah no i know it's just for the record because i know big was listening I prefer to have a co-host. I really do. Um, and when I listen back to episodes and stuff like that, and if I'm by myself, I sort of cringe a lot more than I do when Big Woz is there. Because Big Woz, he'll, you know, I mentioned this before, he'll rein me in a little bit sometimes. He'll be like, mate, you give me sort of a look as if to say that's too far. And I go further. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. It's obviously chatting to a mate, a best mate, um, and being recorded, whatever. That's that's so much more fun. And it was the same with uh, with Keith back in the day on the community radio show as well. Um, he and I had a great time, and I really did miss him when he was gone. But I, but I, there was part of me that did enjoy the challenge of running my own show as well. That was that was good times too. And I probably did it, probably pushed on for about another twelve months before I went. You know what? I'm done. But in that time, I convinced my dad, um, the cool daddy, um, to give it a crack, and he did, and he loved it, and he did it for a decade, and he made lots of friends and actually had lots of fans as well who were sending him CDs and all sorts of things as well. So I made his community radio career, and I didn't get any royalties from that. (laughs) I just did it for love. Um, And now uh, up in Queensland, he's doing another community radio station uh, uh, show, so that's kind of cool too. So yeah, so that was my time in uh, community radio. We'll go to a quick break and we'll come back with me jumping into the podcast world. Listening to Flying the Wall Podcast episode 166. My name is Luke. Uh, Big Woz is around somewhere. He's in the next section of this episode because, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we are doing it separately because I'm still getting over some sickness. You might hear it in my voice, my croaky. 
but still eloquent voice. Um, so I've smashed out two jobs, heading to the third one. Thought I'd say good day. Uh, one thing I want to mention, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I'm going to mention it again because it really irks me. People who can't drive, fucking hell, every single day, there's a fucking prick on the road who doesn't seem to know what they're doing. They don't know their ass from their elbows. They're driving around blindfolded. They're doing 20Ks in a 60 zone. They're taking far too fucking long to turn when I'm behind them and they're turning left or something into a side road. And it takes them half an hour to turn the fucking wheel. Oh, mate, I really try to be calm and cool-headed, but when it's constantly through my day, dickhead, and sometimes I'm almost losing my life when people pull out right in front of me. They see me coming, and they just go, fuck it, and they pull right out in front of me. Like, what the shits? What the actual shits? Oh, I'm just glad I've got a podcast that I can vent on. Uh, (laughs) Now, come on. You people must feel it too. I mustn't be the only one. Surely I'm not the only one who gets this upset about dickheads on the roads. I don't want to be an angry driver. I don't think I am. I don't drive around constantly angry. But when something happens, I've got zero patience. Now, I, I hold myself back from beeping too much I I do beep a little bit but I I hold back from you know putting the window down and shouting out you fucking cunts um I really do try to hold back um but it's hard and I I do vent in the safety of my own of of the cab of the car um (laughs) ah but it's all like sometimes it's three four five six times a day that some some something will happen, and I just I shake my head and I'm like I don't know how these people got their license in the first place, let alone have been driving on the roads and you know, or they're not dead. How are they not dead when they're pulling out in front of people all the time? Or is it just me? Is it just that they see me coming and go, he looks like a dickhead, and they just think let's try and take his life? I don't know what it is, guys, but yeah, ah, oh, it look it, in all honesty. It's probably the, probably, I'd say, mm, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else. It's probably the only thing that gets me this upset, this irate, you know? Like, yes, the kids can annoy me sometimes, and yes, you know, whatever. Life happens, and life can be annoying sometimes, and little things, and like, you know, for instance, I, um, I don't like, if I've got to do anything online, Apart from stuff I want to do, like if I want to read a blog or uh, look up something on Wikipedia or YouTube, that's fine. But if I have to do some kind of admin, if I have to do some kind of like jump onto uh, .vicgov and put bloody passwords in and figure out shit, I yeah, I lose my mind with that stuff as well. Um, it's really, ah, oh, yeah, that I don't have patience for anything like that. But that only happens every now and then, you know? Whereas on the road, I'm on the road every single day, all day. Anyway, <laughs> I need to stop talking about it because I'm getting fired up again. Ah, oh, where were we? All right, yeah, so podcasting. Yeah. Um, now, Big Was started a podcast um, back in, oh, was it 
late 2018, early 2019, not too sure, excuse me, he he started one called um, Master of None, which was, you know, sort of, you know how you say jack of all trades, um, um, or master of all trades, you might say as well. Uh, His thing was, he's the master of none, because, again, he's always... um, looking down upon himself and feeling like he's not really worth it I'm not very good at anything when he's fucking great at so much he really is I wouldn't be friends with the dickhead if he was a complete and utter imbecile would I? (laughs) Uh, no he he is so talented in so many ways all my friends are they're all amazing blokes that's why I've been that's why we're lifelong friends because they're fucking brilliant I love them they're my brothers Anyway, so he started this podcast, and um, and it was cool. I actually really enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I uh, tuned in. I think he released. He was sort of a bit more random, I think. I don't think it was like one per week. I don't think that's Warren's style, to be that regimented, <laughs> respectfully. Um, I think he was, it was kind of on a bit of a whim. When he, when he fancied doing an episode, he'd do one. And that was good in a way, because he was in the mood to do it, you know what I mean, um, and uh, and it was when, you know, uh, a particular topic took his fancy or whatever, and he'd cover things like uh, movies, and he did uh, video games, and he talked about me once with uh, uh, my crazy little miniature hobby, that was my favourite episode, <laughs> nah, it was a good, it was a good um, listen, it was very, I guess, um, amateurish, very much like this one is, our one is, um, It was just him literally pressing record and chatting, just like what I'm doing right now and what we generally do. Um, But it had a certain charm to it because despite what he thinks, he thinks he's a waffler, he thinks he, you know, talks shit. I think I talk shit. We all talk shit, Big Was. It's okay. Um, But at the same time, I found it very, very engaging. It was... And yes, you could argue it's because my best mate, so obviously I'm going to, if he did a shit on a stick and presented it to me and said, this is for you, my friend, I would appreciate it. So he could, what I'm saying is he could do anything and I'd be like, well, it's gold. It's fucking gold. Again, same with my friends. If they did anything, I would think they're the best at, it, at, at whatever they've done. Um, so I loved it. I actually really, really enjoyed the show, but... It did make me think, aha, he and I could do a podcast. <laughs> now, it wasn't in the sense of like wanting to take over or, or um, I don't know. It wasn't, it was no negative. It was no, there was no agenda like that. It was no, no um, I don't know. It was no nothing. I was just excited. I was just like, think, I, I listened to his um, every episode and really enjoyed it. And bit by bit, I started to think, Oh, we could maybe he and I could do something like that. It'd be kind of cool to get together and and talk shit and whatever, you know. And so I put it to him, and I I honestly I wasn't thinking it to be a thing that it was. We'd do this fly on the wall podcast, and then we'd get you know he would just get rid of Master of None. I very much saw it as he would do that and this, you know, and I, I was cool with that. I thought that'd be a cool thing. And for a while at the very early stages, so this, this podcast, Final Wall podcast started in about April or May 2019, I think it was. And, um, and he kept his one going for a little while longer. Um, but then, yeah, I don't know, he sort of pulled away from it. Um, and, but that honestly, it wasn't, 
my intention for that to happen, I really, uh, oh, I'm just gonna pull in and get some petrol because this place doesn't have a queue and it's only $2.02 a litre. <laughs> um, so cheaper than the other one there where there was a queue. All right, I'll be back in a tick. It's the Fly on the Wall motherfucking podcast. And I'm back in. Um, so yeah, stopped at the petrol station. Found a pen. One of those clicky pens. It works works a treat. A free pen, just sitting on top of the pump. Mate, grabbed it. Got it in my car. I am living my best life. This is probably the best day of my life. Free mock, well not free mocker. Paid for a medium mocker this morning, got a large. Found a free pen. What are, oh, and some prick just pulled out right in front of me. You fucking moron. See? Oh, mate. But still, dickhead. I'm still living my best life, though. So uh, I'm not going to let that ruin my best day. <laughs> oh, off to the third job. Uh, oh, yeah. And the other thing was I got uh, petrol cheaper than I than I would usually at my regular um, petrol place. So that's good, too, guys. Um where were we with the story with the saga of broadcasting oh yeah so <coughs> so Warren had his podcast I listened to it loved it and suggested that we start our own one um, he was in um, and I guess you could say the rest is history for the last three over three years now he and I have been meeting up on the regular once a week to do this podcast we've had all different types of segments um i like a segment i'm i'm a fan of a segment i think big was likes to keep things pretty simple by just literally having a chat which is great too we always have a great chat regardless um but i don't know i guess in in an effort to try and make it um dynamic or i don't know interesting more interesting i don't know I don't know. I just like doing things like that. I've enjoyed um, doing the production. Predominantly, I do most of the... Well, I do all of the production, let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> Warren just rocks up and fucking gets his slong out and lets the magic happen. Um, but I enjoy it. I really do. I, I um, Sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming, um, um, but for the most part, I really enjoy... Uh, doing the production, like putting the little bits and pieces together, doing uh, intros and doing um, promos and, you know, all that kind of stuff, putting music over it and whatever, all the little sagas and stuff we've done from post-apocalyptic saga, Tomlinson Biggs, um, uh, what else was there? Shit. Um, the Asylum, uh, Grundy Brothers, uh, <laughs> uh, Farmer Pickle. That was a good one. I really enjoyed it. I don't think Warren really got into that one, but I really enjoyed it. Anyway, it's it's been a real hoot. I've loved it. Um, I love everything about it, but I think my main, my, my favorite thing about it, my most favorite thing about it is chatting with Big Woz. That's what it comes down to. And we press record and people seem to like it. And that's cool. And we like it. We we listen to it back and go, that was a good episode. You know, it was fun. And 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 to have this big body of work, three years of, of uh, podcasts there, to sort of traipse through and go, oh, yeah. Like, because um, every now and then I'll go back and listen to, like, episode 71 or 85 or 12 or whatever. And I'd forgotten what we talked about, and I'll find myself chuckling or being interested in what we talk about. Now, you could say that's um, egotistical, arrogant, whatever you want to call it. It is what it is. But I, it's like having this 
back catalogue of great conversations that I've had with my best mate. Much like uh, uh, someone would have a photo album and flip through and go, oh, that was a great day, remember that day? Um, or much like our band has recorded music over the years and we go, oh yeah, remember that song? Remember we did this song back in 1998? You know, it's the same sort of thing. It's an archive of good times. That's what it really comes down to. And that's really the motivation as well. I don't, I don't want to be famous from this podcast. I don't think Warren does either. If it happened, that's cool. If we got paid for it, that's cool. But that's not the drive or the agenda. It's just simply getting together, having a laugh and finding other like-minded people that might find the shit we talk about interesting as well. Um, that's really it. It's, it's honestly, in its simplest form, that's it. That's what it's all about, this podcast. Now, as a bit of a side note, because I, I found myself thoroughly enjoying podcasting um, uh, from, you know, actually recording and, and chatting to the production stuff and, and promoting it on Instagram and that kind of thing, because I enjoyed all that, I decided um, a couple of years ago to start another podcast for my hobby. My hobby is, um, in case you missed it, <laughs> is uh, collecting, building converting and painting little miniatures, whether it's tanks or little uh, characters or dragons or monsters or whatever. I love it. It's a throwback to my childhood, collecting toy soldiers and G.I. Joes and, uh, and painting those um, and cars and stuff. And uh, yeah, and I, I enjoy that kind of thing as a 43-year-old man. Anyway, so I, I've had a blog for many, many years, um, since 2015, where I, you know, talk about my hobby to other like-minded people and it's all been pretty fun and I've made some really great friendships there um, um, which we now we have like zoom meetings and we email each other and all that kind of stuff as well so it's gone beyond a simple sort of uh, miniatures blog <laughs> um, so because of all that I thought oh maybe I could start a, um, a miniatures podcast so I did my, my uh, blog is called Imperial Rebel Orc and uh, so I started the Imperial Rebel Orc podcast and it was basically me doing this, rattling on, chatting away about all things hobby, hobby-related stuff. Um, sometimes I'd go off on a bit of a tangent, but mostly it was to do with my beloved hobby. And that was so much fun. I, I did the same sort of thing. I did what I released an episode uh, weekly, like I do with the fly, like we do with the Fly on the Wall podcast, and and I really enjoyed it. It was I probably did it for about a year, I think. And I still now sort of think, oh, maybe I'm just on a hiatus and I'll go back to it. But I think for me, what was happening was that I, I'd taken on too much. And as much as it, as much as we promote our podcast to be a, a pretty straightforward, simple thing, which it is, there's still some involvement. There's still some, like if we're doing a particular topic, there's still some research. There's still, you know, me wanting to put promos and bits and pieces together. There's still some effort. Not, not, I'm not spending 12 hours a day on it, but it's still a chunk of time dedicated to thinking about the podcast um, and, and then literally doing stuff for the podcast. Um, and I found that taking on a second podcast, uh, or albeit uh, ambitious and cool and and fun and all that kind of stuff, I I think I was taking on too much. So that's why that one didn't last. I, I still, like I said before, I still 
my gut feeling sort of tells me that maybe one day I'll go back to it, maybe, um, because I was getting quite a good response on there. I was uh, I was promoting it on my Imperial Rebel Orc Instagram that I had at the time, um, and that was working really well uh, and getting a nice um, uh, bunch of followers and listeners and all that kind of stuff, which was great. And I, I guess I, I'd sort of felt like I was doing too much with work, with running my own business, family commitments, uh, hanging out with friends and all that kind of stuff as well, uh, and running two podcasts, trying to do my hobby in between that as well. It just, yeah, it doesn't, it, <laughs> when I say it out loud, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it, honestly, it was a lot. And I very much have a lot of energy, as you can probably tell. Um, so I, I do have a lot of energy to burn, but I felt like I was burning myself out. So yeah, decided to um, pull the pin on that one. and But therefore, it allowed me to be more dedicated and motivated with Flying the Wall podcast. And to be honest, that's where my heart is, to hang out with my mate and, and do this podcast each week. That's, you know, that's a, a huge, a huge tick for me. And I hope for Big Was as well. So we'll go to a quick break and I'll come back with my final thoughts. Fly on the Wall podcast. We'll get you hard, 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 hard. <sighs> Okay, I am done for the day as far as work goes. Uh, it's been a good day. I've enjoyed having you along for the ride. Um, on my last job, I was getting, I guess I was getting, I was thinking about podcasting, thinking about why I do it, and I guess I started getting a bit philosophical in a way. Um, I think when I really think about it, uh, my dad is one of my heroes, right? Now, as a young kid, I would see that dad was the life of the party, would sort of grab people's attention with his jokes, with his storytelling and stuff like that. And I always, I guess, growing up around that, I always kind of admired that and aspired to being like that, having that, being able to try and <laughs> captivate people. I know this is sounding a bit weird, but... I don't know. I guess I grew up thinking dad makes people happy by doing stuff like that. And I naturally fell into that. So whether it was being a kid or a teenager and uh, being silly, doing getting up to silly antics to make my friends laugh, to impress girls, <laughs> whatever it was, or... Um, trying to entertain someone on a radio show or trying to entertain people via our band or uh, now trying to entertain people on a podcast, but also doing the kind of work I do. Uh, I've mentioned this before that I most of my clients um, uh, come under the care sector, so people live in, who are living independently but need a bit of help um, uh, due to a myriad of different things, physical um, ailments, um, mental health issues, all sorts of things. They just need a bit of extra help. And, and the reward I get from that is very similar to the reward I get from making Big Was chuckle or making my sisters laugh or telling someone a story and having them sort of be really interested in how I tell that story and, and what's happening in that story or whatever, you know, um, or, or uh, back in the day singing a song and people really listening, listening to the music and listening to the lyrics. And it's the same kind of fulfillment I get 
it's like a, a feeling of like, ah, oh, okay, job done. I've made these people happy. And the same goes for my family. If I know that everyone's happy all at once, um, which, <laughs> which having teenage daughters is sometimes challenging, but if I know that everyone is okay and everyone is happy, then I feel content. I feel very, very happy. And it, the same applies with everything, with my customers, with our listeners, with, you know, and, and, and that's not to say, obviously, not everyone's going to love what we do or what I do or anything like that. That's, that's all part and parcel of podcasting and it's part of life and, you know, you can't make everyone happy all the time. You can't please everyone, so you, you got to please yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think in a roundabout way, it all comes down to that need to want to make people happy and enjoying, very much enjoying that feeling. So you could say, you could say it's narcissistic. You could say, I like the sound of my own voice. You could say, I like uh, putting my face out there on Instagram and getting the attention. But it, it's not, how do I, I can't articulate it. I can't articulate my thoughts that well on on the matter, but what I mean is uh, it's not about me really. I guess it is because it's ticking a box for me and I feel happy and content um, making people laugh with me or at me. That's all okay. It's all okay in my opinion. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a great satisfaction in making people happy is what I'm trying to say. And, uh, and I think that's what it's all about. I think there definitely was parts of my life, like with when we first started the band, for example, I think I was hoping that the band, I mean, I'm talking like the, the punk metal band we had back in the late 90s. There was a, a real genuine hope that we'd hit the big time and tour the world and, you know, party hard and all that kind of stuff. There was, there definitely was, but I think as I got older and wiser and all that kind of thing, and I think like with the band 11 that Warren and I had, it wasn't about that at all. It was about entertaining folks and um, getting great satisfaction about playing music to people that who who seem to enjoy it, and that's the same now with the podcast. Um, it's the same with my blog, my simple, humble little blog about miniatures. I, I It's not a... It's not a case of putting up pictures and wanting everyone to go, wow, you're amazing, Luke. Everything you do is amazing. You're the most amazing man that's ever lived. It's not about that. It's about like going, getting people to go, oh, that's kind of cool, and then talking about it, and, and vice versa, me looking at their work and going, wow, that's cool. How did you do this, or how did you paint that, or whatever. You know, it, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, I'm getting pretty deep here, but all up, all the things I've done when I look at it really – the main goal has been to make people happy. Um, I'm sure, I'm absolutely 100% certain that I haven't always achieved that. And now that's okay. I can't, you know, I <laughs> can't always strike gold. But it really is a feeling of like, okay, these people are laughing and that makes me happy. And like I said, even if they're laughing at me, even if they're going, you're a dickhead, mate, that's okay too because I'm still making them happy in a way, you know? Anyway, it's all a bit cheese dick, but that's that's the crux of it, I'd say. Um, so yeah, so uh, as far as any future projects, um, I I feel like I'll always um, always is a big word, but I feel like I, I love podcasting so much that I'm always going to be doing something with it, you know. Um, 
uh, same as music. I think I'll always be dabbling with music in some form or another. Same with my miniatures hobby. I'll always be doing that as well. Uh, podcasting though, I think, um, I mean, there's no reason why B was and I can't do, can't do this for the rest of our lives. It'd be like saying, I'm sick of talking to B was, and that's never going to happen, you know, but you know, things change and you know, all that kind of thing, just because the podcast ends doesn't mean the friendship's going to end, of course. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if I do a spin-off one or, or I don't know, but I, I can see myself always kind of giving it a go unless one day I just go, you know what? I'm kind of done trying to make people happy <laughs> and that's it. I'm out, you know, and just become like this wizened old wizard bearded hermit kind of guy who hates everyone um that's the thing though as much as i like making people happy i'm not a big fan of people (laughs) i i live a very insular life in a lot of ways and i'm very happy with that i i see people at the hardware store i see people at the petrol station i see my friends and family and that's it i see my clients and that's it like i don't i don't know i don't like networking i don't like broad like getting out there in the broader sense i don't like crowds I don't like shopping centers you know there's all the yeah anyway <laughs> that's another tangent i suppose um but yeah i've enjoyed doing this episode i actually am quite surprised i shouldn't be but i'm quite surprised that i enjoyed talking about this stuff because I, I honestly, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I really sort of thought, oh yeah, are people going to be interested in that? Am I going to be interested in talking about it? But bang, here I am, buddy, an hour later, and <laughs> I've been rattling on about it. So I, what it says to me is that I could probably talk bullshit about pretty much anything. Um, so stay tuned for Big Waz's segment, section, whatever you want to call it, and uh, I'm sure he's going to offer up some gold. And uh, yeah, be good to yourselves, be good to your goats. Listen to the Fly on the Motherfucking Wall podcast. Check out my meme page at God Thinks I'm an Asshole 2.0. God Thinks I'm an Asshole. 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 Hello! Hello, good friends. How are you going? It's Big Was here, and as you know already, it's Fly on the Wall podcast, but not as you know it. Uh, Luke and I, as you've already found out, no doubt, have done our part separately. Uh, Luke has been a little bit unwell, a bit of a, bit of a cold, a, bit of a cough. Hope he's feeling better. Um, and so, yeah, after much, much, much talk and deliberation and some meetings and getting our managers into it and, you know, our agents, we decided that doing it separately uh, for this one is probably the way to go. And I think personally, um, you know my thoughts on some of our... Sorry about that. (laughs) That was my car radio decided to uh, join in, keep us company. Um, Yeah, as you know, I kind of like our introspective uh, episodes. Uh, I particularly enjoy Luke's. I don't so much enjoy my own, but hopefully that's down to me and, you know, hopefully that you can still enjoy it and listen to it and get something out of it, learn something maybe you you didn't know about me or basically confirm all of your concerns and remain as, um, yeah, (laughs) 
feel as jaded and negative as I do. <laughs> nah, not really. I'm fine. I'm fine, guys. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, so I'd suggested something to Luke, and uh, he has filled out this episode. Let me tell you. I was just looking at some of the the stuff that's you know in our publishing software, and uh, I was like, oh shit, you know, really, I could speak for eight minutes and then fuck off, and you'd be none the wiser, and certainly none the uh, poorer for the experience. But he did suggest a couple of things that I talk about, and one of them, and hopefully it doesn't come across as a a negative or a downer or anything like that. And, you know, maybe that'll make him decide where he can put it in the episode. <laughs> Bring it down right at the end or stick it at the front and then cheer everyone up with some uplifting tales of his uh, podcasting journey. But one of the things he suggested was, um, like, concerns I have for the future. And I guess that's something that relates to everybody, isn't it? And I think in particular, and I don't want to speak for people who aren't parents, of course, but I think it's a natural concern that that hits a lot of parents at some stage. So whether it's early on in their life or whether it's that thing that, you know, a baby comes into the world and you suddenly, the, the weight of it is on your shoulders and you're suddenly like, man, what have I done? <laughs> Not with a regret for the for the event, it's a wonderful thing. But, you know, just, I guess, thinking about all of the challenges and um, trials and tribulations that they will have to face as well. You know, we've all faced our own things through the years. But, yeah, you suddenly put that all on this beautiful, tiny, innocent little thing and think, wow, what have I done to you, you poor little creature? Um, But, but... That being said, of course, there's there's many, many, many things to love and enjoy and appreciate and learn and um, get out of out of living in life, of course. Um, but yeah, the the way that Luke had put it was, you know, what worries me, and I guess that's the perspective that I would come in from. I would say, as a dad, you know, as a parent, this is how I would think about it. Um, and I guess, of course, for my my friends, families, and my 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 relatives and people I know, you know, people that you come into contact with, you know, every day and, and not so often, even our listeners, of course, you know, we're all from different corners of the world um, with, you know, our own experiences and our own dramas going on and, and all that, of that sort of stuff. So, you know, you must sit there and think some days when it gets a little quieter, when you have those quiet moments and you can actually project out rather than just worrying about the here and now and what's happened, you know, yesterday, today and tomorrow. You think a little further ahead and you you sort of start to um you start to apply I guess your own experience and try to look forward and go, you know, what is the world going to be like for my my children, my grandchildren? Um and their kids, like, into the future and, you know, different generations, different countries, different nationalities, um, yeah, different genders. Like, how is the world going to change? Because I feel like it's changed so much in a relatively short space of time. And I'm sure people, you know, 100 years ago felt exactly the same way. But we can only look at that in reflection and, you know, through reading and, I guess, what people have recorded. Um and, you know, that's going to be very much, uh, I guess, about the perspective that you happen to be reading it from. But 
in this day and age with everything so out there and available and interconnected and everything like that, it's so rich in, I guess, both positive and negative influences and ideas and and all sorts of concepts and you've got so much at your fingertips that it can all get very blurry. So that's probably where I would start by saying the thing that concerns me, but also it could be seen as a positive, is just what our children or even us in the future and, and future generations, how they will all feel that they fit in the world that we have left for them. You know, what will we have left for them? What legacy? Um, hopefully it's one where it is more open, it's more connected, it's more accepting, it's more peaceful, uh, it's more kind of giving and loving. But I think that that's the thing where humankind has never quite got it right, have we? I mean, there's plenty of that around. There's no shortage of love and acceptance and kindness and, and, and you know, selfless acts. It's everywhere. It's every day. But there's also a lot, a lot of bad shit. And I think that uh, looking forward, you know, you just hope that things will gradually improve. I don't think we'll ever do away with conflict. We'll never do away with disagreements. I mean, that's what makes us inherently human. We disagree. We don't, we're not all going to feel the same way about something. We're all um, imperfect creatures. So, you know, we're going to have different ideas about the simplest of things right up to the most complicated. But, yeah, I would like to think that the things that have become more accepted and more uh, open and more everyday and um, I guess the attitudes we take to all sorts of things will just continue and we'll find that everywhere in the world it's it's just a more open thing. But that's the thing. Well, you know, we've got differences of religion, differences of culture, and at some point, those two ends of the spectrum are going to meet, and that's going to cause conflict. So I guess, you know, I just hope that that where I've, from my perspective, I feel very lucky. I'm in Australia, and it's a pretty open-ended country, very open to all faiths and walks of life and um, beliefs, as much as I feel you can be. Um you know, we hit a, a speed bump or two along the way, but in general, it's a it's in a very accepting place, and you can feel comfortable and welcome. You know, and there are communities where you can feel safe and um, able to be yourself and express yourself in whatever way you feel. But of course, that's not the case in many many parts of the world. But those are you know there are parts of the world, of course, too, that experience things that we would never experience here. And I guess that's what I worry about in terms of not so personally. It's not so much about my, my kids and my kids' kids. But, you know, there's, there's famine, there's drought, there's, there's war, conflict, there's terror, um, there's racial biases, there's all sorts of um, genocides and uh, inter, well, I'll say tribal, but, you know, inter, uh, oh, I'll just say groups, you know, different groups, I guess. That disagree and, and it can become extremely violent um, and extremely prejudicial. <laughs> I can never say the big words, can I? Um, and I mean, that's not going to change overnight either. So, you know, that's something that I think about a lot in terms of, well, what's the kind of world that they're going to inherit? 
Um, and again, I feel very fortunate. I think that my kids can can be pretty confident that they're going to get a, a good education. They're going to be able to pursue jobs that they are interested in if they feel that driven. Um, they can be with a person they connect with and they love and the, it's not based on anything else other than that emotion. So I feel like in that way, they're very lucky. Um, but I guess probably the main thing that I worry about in relation to the earth itself and my personal family, my family's future, is probably the environment and things like inflation and the cost of living, cost of housing, um, overall, I guess, just keeping the earth alive. Now, many people will say, you know, the earth's got plenty of life left in it yet. Don't worry. It'll be fine. Things will work themselves out. And I'm very much part of that group of thinking to a point. Um, But then part of me thinks, well, you know, we are going to run out of the uh, material resources that we've used, you know, for for decades and decades and decades. But in a relatively short amount of time in terms of uh, Earth's lifespan, we have sucked it dry of natural resources. So renewable resources are going to be that thing. But, I mean, not knowing enough about it to know what it, it what the disproportionate balance is of let's say you know solar and wind power and renewable energies compared to fossil fuels and what they give us i would dare say though it's a huge amount and all of these targets that governments make which i feel is just a i don't know it's just a selling point isn't it to get yourself elected we we commit ourselves to, you know, this is our carbon target for 2050, you know, but they can move the goalposts. So I feel like it, it's very much based on influential companies at the time, the the tech corporations that have that influence on governments and how they can influence who's in power, who isn't in power, who they want to be in power. Of course, that's all a big part of how our societies work, these elected democratic societies that we feel are kind of completely run by the people. They're influenced by these networks and these big companies. Of course they are because they need money to uh, to promote themselves and to get out there and, and get themselves elected. There's millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of that sort of stuff. So, of course, it's influenced by that. So I, I just wonder where the tipping point is, where you would find – that rather than there being some sort of ulterior motive, that it's just like, well, you know what? This is actually the right thing to do. We need to get this tech out there because we can see the earth literally caving in under its own abuse, like, you know, the amount of people that are on the earth, the amount of um, natural resources that we that we go through and that we use up and deforestation and stuff like that. And, you know, without sounding like I'm a tree hugger, which, you know, look, I believe that it's a problem, um, not to the point where I'm going to go and chain myself to a tree, but at the same time I feel that it's something that, you know, in another 10, 20 years it's going to start to tell, 
you know, especially the old growth forests and rainforests. You know, the Amazon has been slowly cut back and back and back over many years um, to make way for farming and, you know, for residential areas, no doubt. And, I mean, that's a, that's such a, a massive global affecting area of rainforest that we can't hope to replace it. I mean, there's some great tree planting incentives globally. Um, you know, there's lots of companies that have a, a strong part in uh, replanting, you know, for every dollar spent or every, um, you know, every litre of fuel that is used up or, you know, whatever. Oh, we, we're going to plant a tree for every $10 uh, purchase, we're going to plant a tree. And there's some great things like that. And I think that that's a good moral way of kind of making it work and softening the blow when it comes to, um, I guess, uh, trying to think about the future while, of course, still trying to make a profit. I mean, there's, there has to be room for that. But, yeah, there's, it's, there's going to be a point, I think, like a crossover point where things haven't had a chance to catch up and we're left sitting there looking at, you know, some immature forests and some plantations and some great projects moving into the future for another 50 years' time where they will be the old growth forests. But I don't think we'll have had a chance to replace what we've lost, you know, and that's where, you know, animal species will die off. That's where ecological damage will be uh, irreparable or... Irreparable in the sense that the the world will not be the same again. You won't be able to give it back what it lost. So I, I believe there will be a crossover point where we won't have that chance to get that stage again. You know, and the the Earth will be very different in a century's time, for example. So I guess that's the stuff I worry about. <laughs> like I'm really waffling. <laughs> that's the stuff. You know, to start with, that's the stuff that I, I worry about for future generations. And, you know, to come back onto it in a more localised sense, uh, which I will do in a minute, but I might break for a moment and give everyone a chance to <laughs> listen to a promo or something of that ilk, and I'll be right back. Love you. back again. Big Woz here. This is uh, part two <laughs> of my uh, my ramblings about what I worry about in the future. Uh, you've no doubt heard from Luke this evening, hopefully enjoying the change of direction that we've taken for this evening as well. Um, I'm going to enjoy listening to his part. I, I do like listening to his musings and his the way he tells a story, I think, makes a lot of sense. Um, and I like the way he works through things. I don't know. It just seems very cohesive. I like the way he just tells a story. It just makes sense to me, um, probably why I'm his friend. Uh, but unlike him, I feel when I'm speaking, I feel like there's a lot of words coming out and there's a lot of information or there's a lot of an attempted information. I'm not entirely sure it works as smoothly. <laughs> so <laughs> if you have any input for me, any tips, um, any questions, any advice, 
please feel free to let us know on any of our contacts, okay? I'm sure Luke's done them. I'm not going to try and test my brain to try and remember them again. And you don't want that either. I'm sure you know by now because our diehard listeners, and thank you for being those, we we love you guys and uh, we appreciate the fact that you're here. And, you know, we can trust that you'll be there listening. No matter what the fuck we put out there, you'll be listening. And we do really sincerely appreciate it. So... I started off there by talking about, I guess, the ecological, environmental, sort of fossil fuel uh, resources kind of global thing that I worry about for my, for, you know, for my kids and my grandkids. I guess that's something that I genuinely worry about. Right now, we're looking at you know two dollars twenty a litre for fuel on average. Um, it goes up and down, of course, and it does occasionally dip below $2 at the moment, but there's all sorts of reasons for that. Definitely um, not complaining per se. I mean, there are reasons behind it that, you know, conflict in Ukraine um, and with the the kind of hold that uh, trade embargoes and things on Russia at the moment, also just everybody coming back out of... COVID, you know, that the new reality that everyone's facing where things, of course, are going to change. It's like talking about deforestation. Like things won't maybe get back to being exactly the same again. There's a different attitude that we now have to live with. COVID is a thing. It's around. It exists. It's mutating. It changes. So we're going to have to change and adapt and vaccinate ourselves where we can. We're very lucky that we live in developed enough countries where the vax is, well, choices of vaccine are readily available, you know, and I guess that's something that I would wish for developing countries. I think that, you know, people that have the access to all these medications and, you know, we're all up to our third and fourth uh, booster shots, you know, that we could give some of those resources to developing nations where I'm sure it's still burning through populations. But media doesn't choose to cover it as much because it's less relevant to us now. And I think that's quite sad. You know, at the start, it was everywhere, you know. And I guess they were, I don't want to say revelling, but I feel like there's an element of that with media because it does get traction. It gets noticed. It gets read. It gets listened to. People look it up. They Google it. So the whole fear-mongering element of um, telling all these horror stories of what's happened here and here. And they'll be talking all over the world. doesn't matter how small the country was or what kind of situation they're in. They, they love the horror story aspect. You know, these many people are left outside the hotel. They're dying in the streets. You know, they're dying in their homes. And we're not hearing about that so much now because Australia, you know, the UK, America, Canada, um, a, a lot of Europe, I mean, admittedly, I mean, like Spain and France and Italy were hit, Germany hit so hard, and the UK. Everyone was hit so hard. What am I talking about? Everyone was hit so hard in different ways. But the, the story's changed. The information is different now. So non-English speaking and, and also, I guess, developing countries and perhaps, as we'd call them, you know, Eastern or um, Latin countries, we're not, we're not hearing the stories as much anymore. And, yeah, but it, life has changed as we know it. And I guess from a medical standpoint, it would be great to think that we could step out there and at least make it a global effort to help one another. 
You know, tourism's going to have to recover. Um, trade's going to have to recover. But at the same time, we need to help the people that aren't involved in any of those things that help us. We need to just go selflessly. Uh, we have 5 million vaccine shots here. There you go. Have them. Have them. And, you know, maybe there are uh, programs like that already in existence. Again, I, I don't know enough about it. Maybe I should be researching it more, have a bit of an informed uh, opinion about it in terms of understanding where we do put our support, where we do lend it. Um, but that's something that I guess it would be nice to think in the future that that's the kind of attitude that everyone's taken at some point. And when, God forbid, anything like this were to happen again, you see it as a global effort to help one another, everybody, everybody. And it's going to be disproportionate. It is. But it would be nice to see that it is, you know, fairly equal across the board. Um, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, how that how that changes over the years. I don't believe it probably will. It'd just be nice to see it happen. Um, another thing I guess I was going to bring about, which, you know, is relevant to us here in Melbourne, um, in Australia in larger part, is cost of living. Now, yes, this is a... It's a rich country. Um, it's got a very high standard of living. It's got a very high educational um, sort of, you know, the, the rate of education is, is excellent. Um, children can get a strong education. They get a free education. We get free health care. Um, and so I'm not – please don't take this as a complaint. It's just a fact really at the moment. You know, some places throughout the world and, you know, occasionally – call it a weird fetish, <laughs> I will look up real estate prices um, in all sorts of corners of the globe. You know, I've looked at places in Mongolia. I've looked at villas in Portugal. I've looked at the most rundown, um, I'm suspecting, crime-riddled neighbourhood in Detroit where you've got completely dead neighbourhoods, you know, but houses are, you know, $4,500 US. Um yeah, I've looked at places in little hamlets in Brazil, you know, just all sorts of places. I'm just curious to know what the values are based on, I guess it's probably based on a lot of factors, and that would be like your mean income, uh, the value of the area based on what you have around you, you know, what what services you have access to. Of course, that's a big thing wherever you are in the world. I'm sure it's a factor. Um, you know, the kind of outlook, the, the crime uh, rate, and I guess the the desirability of the place itself. You know, have you got amazing views of the mountain ranges and the beach and waterfalls and, you know, herds of horses galloping across the fields? Whatever it is is going to affect what your land's worth. But, yeah, it's, it varies so, so much. You know, we're quite nice places in small-town America. Now, uh, I guess that's a big difference between the US and Australia where small-town America is a huge part of America. There's so many uh, cities, large towns and, you know, not so massive towns, but they're still, they still have everything you need. And they're everywhere. They're peppered everywhere. And that's, yes, that's a larger population. It's also perhaps a more 
aggregable um, landscape where you just have it's more usable land throughout. You know, Australia does not have that. We have, we have vast, vast areas of outback, fairly desolate, des- desert, dry spaces where it's hard to settle a large population. You're not going to be able to get crops. You're not going to be able to. Sometimes the water supply is negligible. You, you're not going to be able to get those things. So we all live around the coastal fringe, really, in Australia. That's where we are. We're based around our major cities, which are normally in you know the the best vantage point with the the most fertile lands, most diverse sort of um, uh, fertile grounds, and you know, I guess uh, appealing you know mountain ranges and rivers. Yeah, like most of our cities are all on like a nice major river that comes down into the city, and you can have a port. Um, America's got them everywhere. So you can go to a small town in America and you can buy a beautiful house, uh, much probably much nicer than the one I have now, and it's a fraction of the price, you know, and you've got access to hopefully decent work, uh, decent schooling, you know, uh, high school, maybe college, um, and then hopefully good job prospects and all sorts of stuff, you know, good access to shops and healthcare and all that sort of thing. I would think so. Tell me if I'm wrong. You know, please, uh, you know, yes, it's interjecting, but not in real time. (laughs) You have to interject later in the piece. I think um, it's much more possible, you know, for for $150,000, which is still a lot of money, you could probably get three or four-bedroom home, a couple of bathrooms on its own block of land on a, a nice, big, suburban, generous street. Now, I don't know if that's a Hollywood sort of idea that I'm confusing myself with, but I feel that there's many places in America where that would get you a very nice home, you know, where you'd be comfortable and it would be safe in a good neighbourhood. Um, whereas here, you know, the median house price has just gone but it's gone bananas. Now, they're all talking about because of inflation, because of interest rates now just being put up to try and combat the inflation. And this is all, there's many factors behind, but of course, the the whole post-COVID reality, I guess, is hitting everyone. And it's a global thing, so it all kind of affects one another. Um, It's really exploded, you know, and, and you've got houses that are, not particularly special to look at, you know, as a property, as a building. You look at them, you go, oh, yeah, it's pretty stock standard, you know, there's a weatherboard or it's it's brick veneer. Um, it's one story, it's got two or three bedrooms, one bathroom, it's pretty old, you know, but people are paying 800000 to into the early millions. <laughs> I just It's beyond me now, probably because I'm a bit older and I can remember the time when houses weren't that expensive, you know, and then there's my parents' time where, yeah, well, it was absolutely not that expensive. And, yes, you can say that wages have come up sort of somewhat in parallel, but really, no, no, no not at all. Like, the, these areas have exploded. Sydney's worse. Um, but Melbourne's not far behind it, and then I think a lot of the other major cities are the same, and that's probably for that very reason. We are all kind of like moths to the flame for each of the major cities in the state. So that worry for my kids being able to afford um, a property, and now whether it's to buy, whether it's to rent, it's challenging. There's high demand, um, and it's very expensive. 
So getting the right kind of place takes hard work, takes a decent income, takes uh, a safe job, you know, one that you can depend on. You know, it's not just a stopgap. It's something you're like, well, I'm confident I can be here for as long as I need to be or, you know, I'm in a profession where I can get other work and, and hopefully work my way up, get a bit of income. I guess that's the sort of thing I worry about because I feel now in hindsight that I was very fortunate as a young man. You know, I was able to, yes, you earned a bit less, but real estate was purchasable. You know, you could get it. Um, in my first house was $57,500. <laughs> and I, I don't know where you are in the world and what that means to you, but that was affordable. Now, I wasn't in a in a Melbourne suburb. I was very much on the outer fringes. Um, but it was doable. It was drivable, um, commutable, if, if you like. And those houses now are, are still valued up at half a million. I mean, and I can tell you right now, I would not pay that price to get that house at that distance away again. But that's what people are forced now to do if that's what they can afford. So it, it sort of, it's a very sobering thought to think about what the hell is it going to do from here? What are these guys going to do? They're going to have to come up with something revolutionary in terms of how to combat house prices, real estate prices, land values, and be able to make it work. And I guess that's where, uh, well, Luke and my interest in tiny houses and all that sort of cabin living comes into it because you think, I don't see any other alternative. I really don't. You know, I think it's going to be some of those things where they've they've got either uh, projects, you know, talking about estates uh, a few weeks ago, are we talking about making affordable housing again in groups like that where it's state-owned and you pay small rent or you pay small mortgage prices? Or do you do it alone, which, you know, I tend to prefer the idea of, and or, you know, have it incentivized by the government and able to live on a slightly smaller scale? You don't necessarily own the land. You might own the building. Maybe it's a semi-permanent kind of building and you pay like a leasing fee to have your house on this piece of land. You know, you get access to your water connection, power connection. You can have your internet, you know, wireless these days if need be. But, you know, you can just pay to have that. You can own the building, but you maybe don't own the land. I don't know. But I feel like that's going to be a big thing. Like personally here in Australia, I think that's going to be something that's going to need a solution in the future. So I do worry about that on behalf of my children and my my children's children. Because and look, even friends and family and you know contemporaries, like it's it's a worry. Like I don't think I could move now and buy somewhere else unless I went well and truly out of town, like where I said I came from. You know, my first time. I think that's where I'd have to consider because, of course, these days banks don't lend you money as easily as they they did um, pre GFC. They used to throw that money at you. <laughs> they used to. Credit cards used to just up your limit if you said the word. They'd they'd send you the offer as a letter, and all you'd have to do is send yes or no, and they would up your limit because, I don't know, the, the pressures were different. They obviously didn't feel that the risk was as high. And 
it, that's what got them in so much trouble in the end. Yeah, everything crashed and burnt at the GFC. So post-GFC, you know, getting a home loan, getting any kind of mortgage or lending money has been a much much tighter affair in, in regards to what you need, the kind of proof you need, the kind of job history, the deposit size, everything about what you do now is much more scrutinized. And you can't even, you don't even have a hope of entering the real estate market without some serious cash, which of course you have to save, which of course takes time. And then by which time, certainly for the last few years, you know, home prices have just kept on climbing. So it's feels like a, you know, three rungs up the ladder, two steps back, or even worse, it's sometimes three rungs up the ladder and three or four rungs back. It must feel that way. Um, yeah, I think there are solutions for it, but I think that that's something that Australia, for one, is definitely going to have to face and come up with some strategies. You know, so people have options. They're not forced into some sort of uh, situation that makes them unhappy and isn't like important for helping their, I guess, their sense of wealth and security and all that sort of stuff. So that's an- another one. I mean, yes, it's not everything. People are, are we're, we're lucky to have a roof over our heads, food on the table, um, access to, you know, all the things that I, I mentioned earlier. We are very fortunate. So it's by no means a complaint. It's just that awareness of like, well, this is something we're going to have to face in the future. And I guess in saying that about here, I would probably say something similar in regards to, well, what it means for, we were talking about homelessness last week. And I think it is, it's a huge issue, clearly, you know, by some of those numbers I was reading out in regards to country by country. but I mean, that's not, that's homeless people, and you know, there's a host of reasons why uh, people are homeless, of course. But then there is just literally the problem of it's just not available. Some places it's just not there. They can't afford it, or they they don't have the income. It's in the wrong area. Um, the, the demand is too high, so it's just literally you cannot get something that's going to. Uh, it's going to satisfy your needs in terms of, you know, I might have a family of six. Like, yes, people in the world live in one room, but you, you want to aspire to something. You want to get something a little better. You're not prepared to do that. You only want to use that as a springboard. Like, I think I think there's some great housing solutions out there. I've certainly seen a lot, like online and, and everything, in regards to strategies where they've been able to make it work, you know, for whether it's short-term long-term homeless, you know, veterans uh, who have been injured, you know, they've made little villages of like tiny homes. I think that that's a great incentive. I think that's a really good idea. Um, and I think it just needs to keep on going. You know, they've made, and to, to, to crisscross over the two topics that I've covered, you know, they make renewable, they make homes out of renewable uh, sources or recycled goods and or they mix and match it you know there are things that are like these carbon neutral homes where they don't create any waste in theory they don't create any waste and they're not using anything that's cost anything i mean with that that's got to be a hard balance to strike but i think that that's very clever and certainly something to to aspire to is particularly when working on you know mass housing for 
all of these groups of people that might struggle to to get in otherwise like I think that's where that could really tick both boxes very effectively and you know hats off to people working in those fields that are always striving ahead and um, <clears throat> developing those plans and trying it all out I think that that no shortage of ideas and ingenious people you know coming up with with things every day that they can uh, make into a reality you know and that's everything from like a styrofoam like aluminium skinned dome to literally you know earth earthen houses uh, but then there's 3d printed houses there's houses that have been made out of recycled materials almost completely whether it's literally just a bunch of cans or bottles or you know they've they've recycled them and then that's been turned into like a um trying to think of the name of the the wood like we have these composite woods now yeah so composite materials you know they 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 don't rot they don't get termites they don't get water damage um but they're made out of you know 85% Recycled plastics. I think that's there's some fantastic strategies, um, and so hopefully into the future, that's where maybe that can help both the, of those things that I worry about, and create some solutions. Not all the solutions, but certainly some big ones. All right, guys, <laughs> I've been chatting for twenty two and a half minutes this time. So, look, I'm going to have another small break here. I'm going to come back. I'm going to give you my final thoughts. Um, And, yeah, hopefully you've stayed with me up till now. See you in a minute. You're listening to Fly on the Wall Podcast. Hey guys, Big Was here for the third and final time. Thanks for joining me for my little uh, section here. I didn't want to go for too long tonight. I thought half an hour is probably a great guideline um, because Luke looks like he, he had a good chat, so I'm, I'm really glad. I'm really happy about that. Um, <laughs> and I, I do actually mean that sincerely as much as I sound like I'm taking the piss. I want to thank you for listening, though, because, yeah, I, I like the introspective chats. I used to do a podcast. Uh, Luke might have mentioned it in his part. I haven't listened to it yet, to be honest. I will. But we're still in the, the process of making it, goddammit. Um, he used to have his podcast, of course, but I actually had one early in the piece called Master of None, and it really was just me and my musings on <laughs> many different random things and just having a chat, and there's a part of me that does enjoy that. I think it takes me a little while to warm up sometimes, and I think sometimes I've sort of fumble over my introductions and getting into it. But once I've found uh, a groove, I do f- I do quite just enjoy talking. So hopefully you don't mind just listening. But like I said, though, 
Uh, please feel free to to get back and let Luke and I know what you think of you know different episodes. You know which one's your favourite one, which ones you you get the I don't know the biggest laugh out of, but then some others that might maybe you learnt something you really weren't expecting to learn, particularly from us. Um, yeah, something that you realised, something that you would love to hear about more, or that you would like to share with us. We're honestly, we're very open-minded when it comes to everything, and um, we sound like a couple of dickheads, but underneath it all, uh, some very sincere gentlemen uh, trying to make their way in the universe. And uh, look, speaking of that, and speaking of the future, and my topics for this evening, ultimately, I didn't want it to be a downer. I did want it to be, I guess, just a reflective thing, just to say, well, you know, these are things that I, I ponder. You know, it comes up in my thoughts. And, you know, as my kids get older, um, they're the things that you face. You know, you're going to have those discussions. You know, I'm going to have those conversations about their choices and, and the areas they want to try and live. You know, I might have to consider a reality where they want to go try a different part of the country or maybe the world. I don't know. You know, they're things I'll have to face in, in due course. And, you know, I figure... I'm lucky to have that experience, whatever it brings. So I think it is one of of positivity that I look at it. And I guess I just want them to feel like they're living. That's that's what I really want. I don't want them to feel trapped in any um in any situation. I don't want them to feel like they don't have any choice or they don't have the ability to work their way out of it and find a new path. You know, I guess that's what it all really boils down to. If we're not happy in that situation, you know, hopefully we can find the willpower and the the strength and the momentum to kind of put one foot forward and say, you know what, I'm going to try this. You know, I mean, I'm saying that and I could probably take some advice from that too. You know, sometimes it is good to, to just try something, give it a go. Um, and I think it's good to encourage one another. You know, if someone has a good idea or a bright idea or a crazy idea, as long as it's not going to hurt someone else, I think it's great to say, you know what, fucking do it. Do it. You know, I'll worry about my kids if they want to go traveling the world, but I'll say to them within reason, I'll say, do it, please. That'd be so good. I would, I'm looking forward to hearing about it. I want to, you know, don't, don't miss out a detail. I want to hear all about it. I want to. I want to see the the joy in their face when they share it with me. I want to hear it in their voice. I want to hear about the, their connections with people, you know, people they've met, people they've experienced, places they've experienced. All this stuff is what's to look forward to in the future. And hopefully that's the sort of dad I've been to them, you know, to imbue them with that kind of attitude. Just get out there, give it a go. If you don't like this thing, well, then consider changing it. Don't worry about it. Let's go. Fucking go. <laughs> um, anyway, getting a bit overexcited here. But, yeah, that's that's how I wanted to end. I wanted to say, look, in all, it's really I want it to be something that's positive. And then if there are things that, that hold them back in the future, like the stuff that I tend to worry about, you know, maybe they'll be part of the solution, you know, part of the the repair, part of the, the way out of it. Um, and that would be amazing too. And, you know. I guess I'm just I'm looking forward to the future and the fact that I know that we and past generations have caused some fucking problems and we've fucked up a lot. 
but there's been a lot of good as well. And so I'd like to think that future generations will give us so much more good than they will bad because of how interconnected we all are and hopefully how much more understanding we are of each other. So I'm going to leave it there, guys. <laughs> thanks very much for your time. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed the whole kit and caboodle of the show this evening. And we will see you hopefully next week together. Uh, who knows what we'll bring? Who fucking knows? But whatever the case may be, it will be fun and it will be Fly on the Wall podcast. It'll be Luke and Big Was. And whatever fucking weird, weird, beardy guest we have in. Keith and Glenn, I'm talking to you. Actually, Keith doesn't have a beard. He has a moustache. Toodles! Oh, 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 oh